Welcome everyone to this week's edition of uh, Commercial Real Estate 101. For those of you guys who are tuning in for the first time, this is uh, a meetup group that we started back in April of 2020 that uh, the focus point is to become really the go-to resource for all commercial real estate related topics. And so each, every other week, we invite speakers to talk about commercial real estate concepts. And today we have the honor of having Larry Pendleton. Uh, He's a uh, CPA uh, with a real strong focus point with investors and business owners. So I'm excited to talk to you a little bit about your experience and your background. And, you know, hopefully you can share some great insights that the people on this call and those that are watching live on, on other social media platforms as well can gain some value from. So Larry, welcome. Appreciate it, Raphael. I'm glad to be up here and excuse the, the background noise. <laughs> I think that's, that's, my, that's my computer trying to cool down. Yeah, I know. For those of you guys who don't know, so Larry is actually in the midst of, of tax season. So he's been, uh, I'm assuming, working heavily on different returns for diff- of his different investors and business owners. So that that noise, that slight noise here in the background is the fan and his computer. <laughs> so awesome. Well, well go yeah. So one of the things we like to do when we first get started is to learn a little bit more about you as an individual. So can you tell us a little bit about yourself and yeah, just kind of go from there. I guess uh, born and raised in southeastern Virginia, for those familiar, Hampton Roads, Norfolk, Virginia Beach uh, area. Uh, I've been a CPA for over eight years. I've been doing tax consulting, tax planning, uh, financial reporting, audits, and, and whatnot uh, for over a decade now. Um, started PC Financials roughly around seven years ago. Um, then start off with kind of focusing on real estate probably until about three years ago, but started but that was after uh, kind of getting the investment bug myself um, roughly six years ago um, pretty pretty linear uh, approach as with most people just start off with a small single-family uh, rental uh, thought I was doing really well with that jumped to the flip game jumped out of the flip game <laughs> just, just didn't work out well for me at that time uh, and then started to look more into multifamily around 2017, 20, uh, 20, yeah, 2017, 2018, um, and then kind of got connected to various uh, in investment groups, uh, uh, multifamily masters, multifamily matrix, and being able to kind of just connect with more investors. Uh, so roughly three years ago, it just made more sense to start to shift um, the tax business, which is PC financials uh, with my partner, Terry on Conyers. Um, to focus more on professionals in real estate. Uh, we typically like to say that any, any tax real estate strategy within real estate, uh, we, can, we can be a, a great asset uh, to investors and in how to uh, reduce their tax bill uh, as much as possible. For legally. sure. No. Yeah, of course, legally. No, no, for sure. But there's definitely ways that you can interpret the, the, the tax law to make sure that you're able to save a sizable amount in, in, in taxes. So, I mean, I think that you're going to be able to provide a ton of value on that front as well, just, just in today's um, today's call. So one of the things I wanted to ask you was, tell us a little bit about what the day in the life of you know your, your accounting business is. I mean, what exactly does a real estate accountant do? Um. I say for me, because I'm also an investor myself, uh, I've connected with multiple deals, over 50 doors uh, within the southeastern states. Um, I get to see both sides of the fence. Like, does the deal make sense from an investment standpoint? 
and then from there what are the tax implications from that so a lot of it is just still reviewing deals underwriting deals just like everybody else but i'm also sharpening my tools on regarding the tax strategies to to mitigate those um the the, the income that you that you'll make from um, real estate and potentially how it can somewhat offset some of your um w-2 self-employment income if it's, if it's not in real estate as well so most times there's a lot of consulting that we're doing planning and strategizing uh leveraging plans that we set for one client to clients in similar situations um and just kind of okay this, this is a new new unique situation let's kind of make sure we review the tax code a bit deeper to make sure we're all on the same uh all on the up and up if we go down this approach here because what i mean it's not really aggressive um, for what we're saying is it's really more we're just following the law as is people just are not used to having these huge deductions um, depending with the strategy that, that we're that we're implementing um, because it's not it's not taught uh, too often so uh, see ourselves more as kind of an educator um, for our clients to make them feel more comfortable about their approaches that we're taking yeah for sure so you're more of an advisor you you start from from the beginning of the process where you're involved with the i'm assuming as as you go through the process of uh, doing the underwriting uh with the client you're you're kind of advising them as far as what what the potential tax implications could be given different scenarios and at that point you kind of give them the opportunity to say hey this is an appropriate route to take or this may be a better route to take is that correct or Right, right. And they, we're not telling them whether it's a, a good deal or not. No, of course unless, not. Unless, yeah. unless they're asking that, because if it's a bad deal, it doesn't matter what the tax savings are, it's, it's a bad deal. <laughs> like I said, we, don't, we, we definitely do not want the tax implications pressing whether or not it's a good deal. Like if it's something making over 30% returns, uh, okay, we'll do what we can, depending on the type of income that you're making, uh, to offset as much of that as possible. But it, it may be some taxes that be, to be owed on the back end. Uh, but that doesn't mean it's a bad deal. So we, we, we definitely make sure that's first and foremost that it's a good deal. And then um, here's where we go with, the, with a tax plan from this from this standpoint. Awesome. That uh, makes complete sense. So when you're working with uh, someone who's new to the either the new to the business or maybe they're transitioning away from uh, a prior accounting relationship, like what are some of the common missteps that you see investors make when tax planning? I mean, a lot of times they're they've already made the deal and have not consulted with their tax advisor, whether it's us or whoever. And once once again, like it's not whether or not it's a good deal or not. It's just just be prepared for these things. Um, so a lot of the missteps is just okay. There's just a lack of communication before the deal is 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 finalized to know. Okay, here's what's going to be on the back end. And now that we know what could potentially be on the back end, here's all the additional strategies that can be um, that can be implemented going forward to help offset those potential gains or income that you have coming in. Um, so we see that quite a bit, and we also see a lot of bit, uh, uh, not a lot of bit, but a lot of uh, people jumping into corporation status too early or putting properties in corporations where there's no tax benefit there. You're actually making more tax implications. Uh, from from that standpoint, so unless you're just primarily wholesaling or flipping, or just a just an agent, if you're if you're in the buy and hold side of things, you definitely want to keep keep those properties out of corporations as much as possible. And if you are on the wholesale flipping side or or, or being a brokerage or or or, or agent, then um, there's an income threshold, net income threshold, when it makes more sense because at the end of the day, you're still filing a separate tax return for your personal. 
uh, so that catch people off guard as well. So we want to make sure that we're informing people of those implications when they're when they're uh, reaching out for uh, consulting purposes. For sure, yeah, and and that leads us great to our next question. So, like, what are some of the tax tax implications of the different corporate structures? Because that's one of the things that I a lot of people that I've interacted with asked, they're like, Oh, should I put this in an LLC? And obviously not the legal side. I'm not, I'm not referencing the legal side, more so just the, the tax implications of acquiring a property via an LLC and S corp, et cetera. Could you kind of elaborate a little bit on um, those? All right. So your LLC is fairly similar to if you just had it in your personal name, it's, a, it's considered a disregarded pass through entity. Um, that means, like I say, if it's just a single member LLC, it'll just be reported on your personal tax return. Um, there's no additional tax savings or anything like that. Now, if it's a partnership LLC, then there will be a separate 1065 form that would that would be filed, and you have to report the K1s that 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 um that tax return produces on your personal tax return. But there's no special implications there. It's just once again a disregarded pass through entity from that standpoint. Uh, S corporations um, are also passed through, but they're not disregarded. There, there, there is a separate tax return that even if you were a single member S corp LLC, uh, LLC tax as an S corp, um, so it's more of a it's more of a uh, election status, uh, not not so much of a of a corporation. So, but with that, you're you're saying that you're completely separated from the business, and then you have to pay yourself a, a reasonable salary or wage. Um, and then you'll still get a K-1 on any, uh, on any distributions, uh, any income left over from that standpoint there. Um, once again, you can probably get into more like a fringe benefits with, with corporations that you can with LLCs, as well as pay yourself a salary, which you, uh, you don't do with an LLC either for yourself. Um, and then your C-Corps, um, those are just fully separated. They have their own tax bracket. Um, there's no... Um, K1s issue, but you are like if any distributions, unless there are distributions that are made, then then you're then you're taxed on that. You're taxed on your salary that you pay yourself in your C corp, and then your C corp pays. Um, I think the tax the tax break at, at this point right now is is 21%. Um, so the timing of when to start from just reporting as an individual, putting stuff into LLC, and potentially being S corp is all case by case. So at a high level, those are the are how those um corporations, LLCs uh, are broken out from that standpoint. For sure. Yeah. And, and like you said, it is very case specific. And yeah. and that's that's some of the things that's why the beginning account involved is so important. When I was, I'm in the commercial real estate brokerage business and we did like a cost benefit analysis of me just operating as a, you know, a normal, like, I don't remember the exact structure, but right now I'm operating as an S corp and paying myself a particular salary. And then additional on top of that, if I want to draw essentially on top of that, then obviously there's some different tax implications along with that, but that's all through the process of just interacting with an accountant and saying, okay, what's the best situation for me. And obviously you want to incorporate maybe even a real estate lawyer to make sure that you're protected from a liability perspective yes. as well. So having that team in place is critical. Um, so that's, that's some great advice. So when, what are some of the most powerful tax strategies for investors? Um, and we've had, you know, we've had Yona Weiss, which I believe, you know, as well on there's, there's definitely tax implications there, but could you talk a little bit about the various different types of tax strategies that investors use in order to maximize, uh, you know, the, 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 the capital accumulation piece? Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, if you had Yona Weiss from Madison Specs on like that, that kind of rolls into the whole cost segregation. Uh, the best way I, I explain it is that you're taking the cost of the building instead of putting it into the normal 
uh, 27 and a half or 39 year, depending on what the property is used for, uh, depreciation bucket, you're now breaking it out into five, seven, 15 year uh, tax buckets, which means you get accelerated depreciation at a, at a higher rate, um, which increases your expenses um, from a paper loss perspective, um, as well as maximizing the 2017 tax changes and then ending that depreciates less than 20 years being fully depreciated in year one. So you have a huge opportunity to see 10, 20, possibly 30%, if not more, depending on the type of investment that you get into that can be deducted in year one through depreciation, the, the value of the cost of the building or the cost base of the building being written off in year one. So very, very, very strong tool there uh, that investors should be be taking taking advantage of as they're able to acquire more stuff and especially at the prices that <laughs> some some investors are are kind of getting stuff at now um another tool me everyone's uh, on the um uh, a, lot, a lot of rumbling in in, in in dc regarding 1031 exchanges um basically you're rolling the gains from one from one property that you sold and and up 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 to another one there and, and deferring those gains down the road we'll see what um We'll, we'll, we'll see what the government does, I guess, over the next uh, couple of months, few months uh, regarding that, whether that's going to still be on the, on the chopping block or they're altering in some type of way. But a huge tool to kind of be able to trade up, get something that's higher, get something that, that may be producing uh, more income uh, without paying taxes on what you just uh, what you just sold there. Uh, and just kick that can down the road and you can constantly keep 1031 in it's sometimes called the swap to you drop <laughs> um, uh, not to get too morbid here but uh, but then you, you have what the next strategy to that is is that if you're if you hold the hold the property at your death and then pass it down to your children they get to take advantage of the step up basis there uh, another strong strategy that like all the gains that the, all the appreciation that the property has accumulated throughout the years the, the the heirs get it they, they get it value at that at that date of death um and are able to start over depreciation at that point so they get a property at a um at a higher value so if they sell it uh at that uh, whatever price they want they, they're not paying that gain on on their appreciation there just whatever they end up selling it for um if they decide to hold it they can start with depreciation they can start over depreciation be able to keep depreciating from there as well as um maximize cost irrigation on top of that so you're able to kind of layer additional strategies with that uh, opportunity zones are still um uh, a hot button right now i like to call it 1031 on steroids uh, to be able to defer those gains into that and um and then the gains on the property uh on the next one if you uh if you decide to hold it per the per the requirements are now tax-free on that one so there's like there's another strong strong one there uh, for those that are, are in it for the long haul and can have their capital kind of sit um for for that perspective there so that's that's a few that you can that, um that we typically like to, to to shoot towards people as well in regards to how they're acquiring their properties and breaking out um uh, and breaking out depreciation from there sure have you seen any have you seen any activity as far as installment sales goes by chance or is that something that it's not as common that you've seen I see, I see installment sales and the, the premise that you're I, I, more, more time I'm seeing it on the on the back end with clients that are actually uh, buying it not not so much with the clients that are selling it but you do have that concept of okay we're just going to 
break the gains out across multiple years uh, from from that standpoint, and you only tax on the principal or, the, or I guess the, the principal amount that you received that particular that particular year. So yeah, another another way to kind of not eliminate, but you're somewhat uh, taking the can down small, the road, smaller, you're... smaller chunks, and not 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 swallowing the whole elephant. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. And you kick the can down, not kick the can down the road, but you're essentially you're you're limiting the 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 influx of 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 uh, your earnings within one year and spreading it out over a longer period, thus you know spreading right. out your tax implications. So that's something that could be beneficial, especially like you said, if you're looking to acquire property and have someone become you know the seller become the bank essentially, and you just are the one who is acquiring the property and 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 paying the the owner over a period of time. So yep, that's awesome. So. Another another subsect of individuals that listen to the, the podcast are also business owners. So they're either real estate professionals, developers, et cetera. And there are some tax implications for business owners as well. So can you kind of talk a little bit about, you know, some of the, the strategies that you see, you know, business owners take advantage of in order to limit their their outflow, I guess their tax implications or tax obligations. Right. So actually, I'll I'll kind of use you as an example since you brought it up earlier of URA LLC being taxed as an S corp. You're paying yourself a salary. You're working with your advisor on that. So the the general purpose of that is that the the brokerage income that you are, that you're receiving is considered non-passive and subject to self-employment taxes, which is as of today 15.3%. So one one way to mitigate that is to do an S corp election, pay yourself a salary so that the um, um, what you're paying yourself that is what's eating up the payroll taxes at that point. So whatever you end up netting at the end of the year and issuing a K one to yourself is still suited to your your effective tax rate on your um, on your tax return, but it's not it's not that on top of I mean with another fifteen point three percent being taxed on top of that. So Another opportunity there for a business owner, if it's worth it. Now, if you're only netting ten, twenty thousand a year, it's not worth it to roll everything into uh, do an S corp election. Um, my threshold is netting fifty thousand dollars. I know CPA and advisors that do less. I know that some that do more. For me, I just like the, the clean number at fifty thousand, where it's actually worth the cost of of, of basically paying for a separate tax return. Um, setting up setting up a salary for yourself so there's a cost and time factor of it as well um, and, and it's good to kind of be aware of that before you just start issuing yourself uh, or do those type of elections there um, so also with with business owners like I said I mean I know people can get into retirement accounts and uh, traditional being able to get the deductions there but health savings accounts are another great deductions whether um, um, partnerships are not like that, that kind of helps as well if you're having if you have kids um, and being able to hire them as employees not 1099 but actual employees so that one you get the 12,200 at this moment uh, up to that to the deduction and then they're not having to pay any uh, FICA and Medicare tax um, from that standpoint there because they're working under under mommy and daddy uh, uh, at that time so and then for those business owners that actually have a, a real property trader business, like if you're, I'm, I'm get your, you're actually a broker of properties, not not a lending broker. The fact that you actually are dealing with the properties themselves, like and you and you in a real so flippers, brokers, agents, even wholesalers, so a real property trader business, and you're starting to get into more of okay, are you a real estate professional? 
uh, at that point, and that's the 750 hours and at least more than half your work time in a real property trader business uh, that you own at least 10% of uh, at, at, at that point. So you, now you qualify for a real estate professional. Now you, you're making your money off of that business that's non-passive, but now you're able to get um, um, more into uh, when you get more into the buying whole aspect of things, because that's when depreciation kind of comes into factor and be able to drive up those passive losses from your from your real estate. So now your your rental real estate is generating losses. You qualify for a real estate professional status, and you are materially participating in your portfolio, basically involving the day to day operations of the property, so that now you have the losses offsetting your your business income. 100%. Yeah, I know. And that that's one of the most powerful things about being a real estate professional, in particular, if you also invest in properties that you can use the depreciation that you take on other properties to offset not only your passive income through those real estate properties, but also, you know, the, your business income, which is great, because I know that that's not the, the case if you're just a passive investor. Is that correct? Yeah, so you're just a passive investor. You're not you're I mean, you can I mean, a lot of people I, mean, I do syndications as well. We tell our investors, hey, you'll get these huge losses so you're not paying taxes on the income that you're on the distribution that you make but that doesn't mean all those losses are going to be able to be recognized on your tax return now they don't just go away they're suspended and roll forward in the future years but if you're passively involved not materially participating or actively involved with your own portfolio you can't really claim material participation um and if you don't have it and you, and you so you only really get that or the aspect of um being a real estate professional there so you are limited to, to that standpoint. We do recommend to our LPs to kind of look into short-term rental um, in, in investing as well, where if, if, if your property is, is ran out for seven days or less, um, part of the code uh, 469 of the, um, the IRS is that, it, that that is still considered passive, but the, the, the losses are also, it, it kind of plays on both sides of the fence where you can now um, claim a, a a non-passive activity uh, at, at, at that point, even though it's still somewhat passive, but you still got to be mature participating. You got to be real estate professional status. You can, you can, you can skate around requirement one and two with the 750 and 50%, but you still got to prove mature participation uh, from there. And there's seven or nine different uh, guidelines on that. But the, 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 the most, the easiest one that we have seen people reach is 500 hours and that's involving the actual um whether it's dealing with the building itself or with the people in your rental property so so we, we try to get our investors to get somewhat involved in the game from a from an active side and have have portfolios that that you are um uh owning and not just investing in somebody else's deal passively sure yeah and 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 I, I one thing just just as a side question let's say that you are a real estate professional right and your spouse is not. They have another job that they perform as well. Let's say you and your business, you know, or or if you're if you're investing in real estate, you know, on the side, can you use that, some of the depreciation to offset both your income and your spouse's income, or is that just for, you know, your side of the of the equation? I guess. Yeah, I think if it, if it was that way, it'd be a lot more married filing separately. Yeah. <laughs> but no, yeah. no it's, uh, it's so only one spouse has to be real estate professional for that to be qualified. But then material participation, both spouses can now contribute hours into that bucket. And then any losses from your 
passive activity can now offset even your W-2 spouse's uh, income. Awesome. That's a powerful strategy. That's great. So one of the things I wanted to ask you pertaining to what we had talked about earlier was was all the, the, the talks of different laws that are that are coming down the pike and the changes of different uh you know tax regulations so could you tell us a little bit about maybe some of the things that you see coming down the pike or or you know if you can because uh, i've talked to several accountants and they're just kind of like it's all up in the air right now like people are kind of <laughs> trying to you know and they're, so. and they're and they're right it's like it's i mean because 1031 exchange is going away that's not the first time that that's ever happened um typically there's a lot of lobbyists involved on the real estate end that will they have the money and, and resources to kind of get those the vote swinging in the right direction for, for us um but like i said yeah that that becomes a, a, a potential there of if they're going to alt they're just going to completely get rid of it or they're going to alter it over over a certain dollar threshold that that can be 1031 over or anything below that could be 1031 everything has to be paid at that point um, step up basis is also um, has also been uh, on the chopping block or alteration board as well um, of okay they can get up to a certain amount but anything above that okay they don't get any additional benefits of so just kind of rolling that over there so um, it, it, so that creates interesting situations of how people will treat that um, of maybe doing a charitable remainder trust and stuff like that to okay how to get the um the property moved over before before the owner passes away so um from from that standpoint there um with the 2017 tax tax changes there are some sunsets that are happening one being the 100 percent bonds appreciation um that we that we talked about earlier where as at, at december 31st 2022 it starts to sunset or phases down 20 percent. so now it was 100 percent for the next uh year and four months and then after that it goes down to 80 percent and it goes down 20 percent year after year and then we'll see by um once they get close to that 50 percent mark that's where it used to be at 50 percent let's see if, if if congress uh brings it back to the table and extends portions of it or bring it back to what it was before 2017 or or raise it back up so we'll we'll, we'll see from that perspective there Awesome. Yeah, those are some definitely things to watch out for the next couple of years because it will have an impact on decision making for investors and, and business owners alike. So yep. that's awesome. So before we open up to Q&A, I had one final question and then we'll get to you guys. If you guys are interested in asking some questions, feel free to type away in the chat box. If you guys are watching us on Facebook, please do so as well. Uh, but the last question I want to ask you was, what are some of the best resources for those individuals that are interested in learning more about tax strategies they can implement or employ as a as a real estate investor or or a business owner? Making me the IRS code is all it's all there. Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, uh, me Brandon Brandon Hall the, the, from the real estate CPA like they they put out a lot of good content, um, like their Facebook group, um, uh, Tax Smart Investors is, is a good one. Um, uh, another gentleman named um, uh, Brandon, I can't think of his last name, but it's um, uh, a tax strategy for real estate investors. So there's a lot of different Facebook groups that there's open discussions regarding stuff like this um, uh, as well. So um, typically bigger pockets um, and you kind of come across Amanda Hahn. 
uh, in there, and she puts out a lot of good information uh, regarding that. So, really good, good resources there. And then, is it really more of if you can really re-interview your current tax advisor to see, like, if 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 he or she is competent in 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 real estate and taxes, so so that you have a ghost source now. Okay. Would they charge for that for that type of like consulting? Like it all depends on how much time you're you're spending at that point with them. Um, but like I say you, you you have someone that you're close to that that's already know. If not, then you may have to kind of find someone else that you can kind of just go go directly to um, for that type of uh, consulting or whatever transaction you have going on. Of course, and 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 not all accountants would be a good fit for everyone. Like you're saying, I mean, you you like you love dealing with you know real estate professionals and investors. And that's kind of your focus area. And there's other accounts that focus on, you know, other types of, of uses. So it's one of those things where, you know, having that conversation with your, your tax professional is, is huge. Um, and that's, that's a great, great, great piece of advice. I also read this book, which uh, just for the, those of you guys who are interested, it's called, it's the, the, the title is kind of aggressive, but it's called aggressive tax avoidance. It's not really, it's not really like anything illegal or anything, but this gentleman's named John T. Reed. He's an impressive guy. Um, and so I read that book and it actually had a lot of the same strategies we talked about and really dove through the tax code. Cause he, I don't know, the idea of reading the, the tax code to me is very, <laughs> very much something I'm not interested in, but this guy went in and, you know, references sections and I'm just like, oh. but yeah, awesome. I mean, you, mean, you get uh, Tom real rights, uh, tax free wealth. Yeah. Um, that's a good one too. You have Amanda Hans, um, uh, tax strategy for the savvy real estate investor. Um, mm -hmm. as well, they actually got two books, um, pretty similar name. Like they have a, have a part mm -hmm. two to their book. So, um, like I say, those, those are solid, solid books that kind of, like, if you, if you want to look into the audio book or just something you can kind of hold and read and just have a reference point to go to, uh, are solid resources as well. Awesome. Great. So yeah, now what we'll go ahead and do is we'll open it up to the Q and a section. Uh, looks like we have several uh, questions in the chat box, so I'll go ahead and read those off. So, is Angel right? Angel, awesome. So Angel asks, uh, "Can you go back over the paying your children part and the amounts for 2020 and 2021?" Hey Angel, it's been a while since we chat. Is your hair still purple? <laughs> oh yes, it is. <laughs> nice. My favorite color. You just can't see it because I have it pulled back, but oh, yeah, good, it's still blue and purple. <laughs> There you go. I see you now. There we go. All good. All good. Uh, so, so yes. Yeah, so when it comes to paying, paying your children, um, the reason why you want to avoid the 1099 is that we're trying to avoid uh, any additional taxes that they would have to pay. And when you 1099 someone, even if it's less than the standard deduction of 12,000, I know it's 12,000 some change, but let's just say 12,000 for the sake of this conversation. Um, whatever you pay them is already the the, the self-employment tax is already applied before any deductions are uh, accounted for. So they would have to pay the self-employment tax, even though their tax return may be net to zero um, with the with the standard deduction. So the 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 W two side of things is that as long as it's, they can be claimed as dependent, um, it's just your business is not. A partnership with other people is yours and like you w2 them out of that business and then um and and, and then they can they are now exempt from fica medicare all the lovely taxes that we enjoy paying with our w2 jobs <laughs> awesome 
All right. So, sorry, I'm just, and I'm typing in the chat box. There was someone who was asking about the different books that we referenced. And so I'm typing the three books that we referenced in the chat box. And I'll include these also in the description below if you guys are going to be watching this on YouTube or, or listening to this on a, in a podcast format. So that'll be available to you guys as well. Um, there was a question referring to the depreciate. So, so do you know how bonus depreciation slash cost segregation will be affected once those roll off in the next two to three years? I know you referenced uh, somewhat rela related to the bonus depreciation, but mm -hmm. could you reference maybe cost segregation? Yeah, so um, so the, the bonus depreciation is really for the, 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 the it's 100% bonus depreciation as of now uh, until December 31st, 2022. And then, so that means anything depreciates less than 20 years you can just roll all the depreciation into year one very powerful stuff so uh to that question is that instead of it being 100 percent, let's say let's say now we in january 31st you inquire something in 2023 uh only 80 percent of it can be uh can be can be now recognized up front still can be pretty significant at that point and then the year after that it'll be 60 percent. and then i said well uh, I say it, it, it has spiked up before and typically uh, Congress has elected to keep it at 50% or around that rough range. So I'll, I'll be surprised if if it's completely expired and there's no more bonus appreciation to take of to take advantage of at this point. So um, especially if they're trying to continue to incentivize investors to buy properties, renovate them. I mean, that's the. Um, the premise of the tax code itself is just to be a bunch of incentives to get people to move a certain way. Hopefully they answered the question. Oh, that was a great answer. Awesome. All right. So another question, Angel has another question. So we, we have an employee. Okay. So we have an employee wanting to move from 1099 to W2. Is there a way to do this that won't set both of us, both of us back by thousands for 2021? Or is there a hint I can give that employee that doesn't trash her earnings? So they want to move from a 1099 to W-2. So you have a bit of an HR situation there and getting them set up and registered with the uh, with the state there. I guess I mean, my, my I, other question is, is do we have to do it for the entirety of 2021 or we can, or can we do it? She asked if we could do it like a few months ago. So mm -hmm. could we back up and do half the year at 1099 and half the year at W2? Her dad, who is an accountant, told her do 1099. You'll be happier with it. She is not happier with it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so she wants it taken out monthly so it doesn't hit her all at once. Because they go to like H&R Block and I said, honey, your first problem is going to H&R Block. <laughs> there's, not, nothing, there's nothing wrong with H&R Block. There's, no, there's no, no reason to throw them under the bus. They, they, they good folk there. I mean, okay. you, just, you just have to know what you're, what you're, what you're, what you're getting there. Like I said, if, if I'm going to go to McDonald's, I mean, I'm not going get to a, get a smoothie. Like that's just things I just know I'm not going to get there. So that's. So I mean the, the premise of that and and I have heard it before people are like, man, I'm just gonna go ten ninety nine and entirely tax it like hey, yes, you, you can go ten ninety nine, not have the taxes taken out. I like to throw in uh Robert Kiyosaki's cash flow quadrant into it because you really have to know how each of the sectors are being taxed. 
um, at a high level, employees are being taxed at roughly 34% of their income. Self-employed employees or 1099 employees are being taxed somewhere at 56% of their income because it's not just the their their tax bracket, it's also that 15.3% that we talked about before that they're being taxed on there. So when people are advised, like, hey, you get to avoid all these taxes, like, yes, you now have to pay taxes now. That bill is still due. Now, I don't advise people against it. It's if you're going to go down this route, you better have some assets you're going to, you're going to be buying because you will need the, every write-off that you can at that point to offset the fact that you have not paid uh, and you're still going to pay at least 15.3% because like I said you're getting 1099 at that point and, that's, and that doesn't fact whatever your net amount is for your business. So as long as you have a strategy behind going 1099, that's fine. Just blankly tell people to go 1099. Um, I won't call her dead reckless, but it's. But I don't think he told her to itemize either. So they're doing standard, and I don't think that's going to help. And I told her, I said, you know, if you want a 1099, great, but you need to be setting aside some money every month so that when your tax bill comes due, you don't freak. Hey, sh 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 you should have charged her for the information. That's, that's good. <laughs> um, but yeah, so like, so I mean, even the itemized aspect of it is is not whether or not. Uh, I always tell people itemize if you can. If the question is if you can. If you marry, filing jointly, the standard deduction is twenty four thousand dollars. Do you have over twenty four thousand dollars of donations, medical expenses, taxes paid, insurance? Well, if you live in tech, if you live in California, you may have enough <laughs> real estate taxes paid to cover that. But um, but like, but as it becomes this bucket of stuff, like if you can exceed that, go ahead and exceed that. If you can't, then it doesn't matter at that point. Because mm -hmm. uh, you're going, you're not going to take a lower deduction just to say you itemize. That's just a waste of everybody's time at that point. Um, so yeah, so like I said, I mean, yeah, I think you just just the roll i think that you would have to just roll her back over the w2 what she would have to do is probably claim z like if she if she's if, if her strategy now is to just have just pay taxes now to mitigate her bill she just have to adjust her withholdings um so that uh she can have more taxes taken out to account for the fact that half the year she has none taken out now now that's for me, that's lazy advice, but my, my approach to her is like, you've been sitting on this capital, you may want to go ahead and buy an asset and, 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 and leverage the tax code to help deduct that from there. That's just me. Yeah. Who, who am she's, I? she's not very, um, I don't think she's very savvy when it comes to that, but she's really great at managing our home office, so we don't worry about it. <laughs> yeah. She just doesn't have a lot of um, financial I don't want to say financial sense, just she doesn't have a lot of financial know-how and her dad doesn't seem to be guiding her. Like he tells her what to do, but he doesn't give her reasons. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, that's, I mean, I think that's a lot of times you, like I don't, I don't, I don't want to throw any shade on anyone. I mean, you do have a lot of a blind leading the blind uh, type of aspect of stuff going on. Um, that's why I say it's, it's helpful to kind of get with the right individual know the reason why and can they so and i mean i'm assuming he's doing her tax return and signing off on because it's very no confusing. because he won't do them he's in washington and he won't do them but he gives her tax advice <laughs> we're in texas by the way I yeah i imagine <laughs> so yeah that's but i mean one thing i would say just just as a you know 
having run my own business for a couple of years now, I, I, I read this book called Profit First um, that, that talks about how to I allocate. actually have that. I could loan it to her. <laughs> you should. You should. Because that's how I was able to kind of maximize. And the concept, the premise of Profit First is you have several accounts that you 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 set up to be able to put buckets. You have buckets, essentially. You put in your owner's compensation. You put in your operating expenses. You put in your you know, it, the, the tax tax account and everything else. And every time money comes in, you allocate it towards one of these accounts in order to make sure you have enough for your operations, for your owner's compensation, your salary, essentially, and your tax taxes as well. So that was, that was a great book for me. And it, 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 it utilized the premise of like bank account financing, where it's like, people just look at their bank account. And they're like, Oh, I got the money in there. And it's like, great, I can spend it. But in reality, a portion of that needs to go to taxes and whatever else. So if you can separate them, from the different accounts, it's actually more efficient that way. So, um, oh, just I, I, I have one more question. Um, yeah. would you suggest, like, should I ex like take some time to explain to her that 1099 is probably pretty good right now, especially since we're probably going to go through a pretty substantial inflationary period, and she would much rather be paying her taxes in dollars at the end of the year than at the beginning of the year? I mean, I mean, I, I get, it kind of goes back to uh, Raphael's point of cause that's a discipline to that book mm -hmm. as well. I mean, that's that's what the main thing that book like you can do all these things like, hey, you can create five different bank accounts, but you have to mentally go and do that. And then once it's in there, you don't touch it um, unless there's a, a obviously emergency uh, situation that comes up. So uh, like I said, without knowing the individual, like. Like I said, just like I said, I'm just like have no clue who this person is. And Stereotypical millennial. I'm sorry. I, I, I don't, I don't stereotypical know. millennial. I don't know what that means. Well, I'm 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 a millennial, so. <laughs> yeah, but you're not stereotypical. Um. Uh, okay. But yeah, <laughs> I, mean, I, mean, I think I think, I think yeah. for her, like I said, it sounds like it's just to kind of put things in auto auto autopilot, and it's kind of and, until that discipline, that mindset is kind of better established there. Um, because like, it's, it's no, it's no different than I said, you go to a, a, a you got a private lender that's just, just pulling out the whole money to their, to their borrowers. Okay. Does that borrower like have the mental capacity to be a good steward with that money and do what it's supposed to and have everything going where it needs to go? Um, so like, you, you will have a better judgment of that of her than, than I, than I can, uh, at, at this point. So like I said, I, I just see it more as just, just kind of. Let's just go safe. Let's get everything back on auto autopilot for everything kind of getting paid for to help minimize it on the back end. Um, and, and then let's revisit it. Let's, let's revisit it down the, down the road. Great advice. Yeah. And, and it's, it's case by case, you know, and I think that's, that's kind of the, the, uh, the advice there, but Mark actually had another question that I thought we'd get to. Um, so he said, Larry, you mentioned the 1031 exchange may be changing or going away. Any thoughts on possible changes to self-directed IRAs? Great question. Uh, yeah, they, they, they have. Uh, I think I started posting this in random groups of people to reach out to their um, uh, to their congressmen and kind of like just just because they're trying to get into retirement accounts and tax people on the gains in there and make it make it very difficult to to invest out of that as well so like i mean that one got that one has probably people as much riled up as uh 1030 1031s um especially now <laughs> i'm trying to get into this, this weird aspect 
of them trying to get into retirement accounts as well as bank accounts uh, to kind of, uh, I guess they, they want to call it a, a tax, a wealth, a wealth tax, but it's going to affect everyone. So like I said, it's, it's a lot of smoke right now. Whether there's an actual fire that actually gets passed, gets passed at that point, we'll see. Like, cause that's going to adjust where people will start putting their money into, um, uh, into uh, whether it's going to be into a retirement account or some some other type of account to help grow tax free from that standpoint. There. Yeah, and that that's kind of the feedback I've been getting from a lot of different accountants that I know, and it's like you know. It seems like every day there's some update as far as what's going to be happening, but nothing set in stone as of yet. So, you know, keeping up to date as far as the different progress, I'm assuming, is something that could be prevalent. But we really don't know at this at this point in time. But yeah, it hasn't been much change of religion just to talk about it uh, at this moment. Yeah, for sure. Awesome. Do you have any other, any other questions uh, from the audience? I'm also checking Facebook. So if you guys are watching on Facebook, feel free to chat, type away. I got a question. Yeah, sure. Um, is there a certain section that focus in the tax code that focuses on real estate? Is that like, like the narrow balance and I have to read it all? Okay. I mean, yeah, if you want to dive into it, uh, section 469 uh, kind of dives more into the passive income side of things. And that's where most real estate investors are going to fall into. The buying and hold real estate investors are going, are going, are going to fall into that. Realm. It, it covers other types. I mean, it, it's just passive income in, in general. Because uh, you can be passively involved in a whatever a laundromat and, and be subject to the same laws, but when you're talking about buying a whole real estate, then you're you're going you're, the income that you make and the losses that you incur from it going to kind of fall into there. Thank you. Thank you. Great question. All right. Awesome. So Cassandra, she asked to summarize today's meeting. Well, we'll, we'll do it even better. How about this? So this is actually going to be recorded. So if you'd like to go back and kind of go over some of the, the talking points that we had in today's meeting, be happy to, you know, it, it's going to be available tomorrow. So um, that'll, that'll do you one better. So you can keep watching and watching and watching. I can think of one, like find a tax advisor that, that mm -hmm. knows real estate to educate yourself on buying real estate three by real estate. It's a great summary there. That's a great summary. Yeah. And it's, it's simple, right? Just, just, just follow that and do it over and over and over and you're, you're good to go. That's awesome. All right. Any other question? No, nice. So any, <laughs> any, any other questions before we wrap up? All right. Perfect. So, well, first off, Larry, thank you so much for stopping by and sharing all your insights with the group. We really do appreciate your you spending some time with us today. So if people wanted to get in contact with you, learn more about you, et cetera, what can they do to do so? Uh, yes, I'm, I'm, I'm almost on all the social media platforms, uh, LinkedIn, Facebook, uh, Instagram, uh, typically just Larry Pendleton CPA. I try to make myself easy to find. Um, you can reach out at me at 757-535-8592. Um, this thing is always going off. So, um, give me, give me about 48, 72 hours to respond back to your, to your call or, or text. And I'm um, happy to, like I said, just uh, add value where I can. For sure. Yeah. And, and for those of you guys who are watching this on Facebook and YouTube and in the podcast format, we're going to include all his contact information, his website, et cetera, in the description. So you guys can have that as well. So feel free to 
click away and, and reach out to Larry if you have any other questions. Awesome. Well, thank you all for so much for stopping by. We do appreciate it. We, we will be meeting every other week. So the next meeting, I believe, actually, the next meeting is coming up next week because it's kind of like an odd month. So we'll be meeting on the 7th. So if you guys are interested in uh, checking out, we're going to be talking about self-storage units. So should be a great um, meetup. And thanks again for stopping by this week. And we'll see you all next time. Thank you. See you guys. Bye, guys. Thanks, Larry. Bye. Thanks, Raphael. Yeah, it was great. It was great seeing you guys.